Welcome to Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics, and we do it from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, our guest will be Dr. Adam Osenga, a private practice chiropractor from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And as usual, our interview will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So this is a pretty manipulative topic, you Ooh, might say. Ooh, you've just been waiting <laughs> to drop that one. <laughs> to set up this interview with Dr. Osenga, we're going to look through some background information regarding this topic, sometimes complicated and poorly understood, called chiropractic care. And what is a chiropractor? Where does the word come from? I mean, it's a funny-sounding word. It is indeed. Chiropractors are not funny-looking people, but the word... Well, Cairo comes from nothing to do with the capital of Egypt. It's spelled differently, C-H-I-R-O. But it comes from the Greek word meaning hand. And so a chiropractor is somebody who practs a chiro, whatever that is. So, although it rhymes with velociraptor, uh, actually chiropractor has nothing in common with velociraptors, which I never hoped to meet. And if you need to know what that is, go ask your parents. Uh, but a chiropractor uh, is somebody who does pract, which means to practice or do something practical with your hand. And he does very practical things with hands. In fact, he can heal people with his hands and no medications, no uh, instruments, which it, I always found fascinating. It is a hands-on work. Which is, which is a very good thing. Uh, in fact, after I learned about what DOs are, doctors of osteopathy, they actually learn uh, spinal manipulation as part of their medical school. And, and a lot of hands-on. I mean, this idea that we no longer touch people with our hands is really pretty foreign. And I'm sure Dr. Osengel will have some interesting sort of historical perspectives on where does the hands-on treatment come from. You know, when I was in medical school, I don't think that we were exactly taught to fear chiropractors. We were not taught to respect chiropractors and chiropractic medicine. In fact, I remember in orthopedics, the only mention I ever heard was that there's one disease they can treat, facet syndrome. They're good for that. Other than that, don't waste your time with them. But there was never any explanation, which I thought was rather odd. And it, interestingly, one of my classmates, and there were only 40 of us in our class, had been in chiropractic school and switched over to medical school. Yeah, I think anybody that doesn't have respect for chiropractic has never used one. I uh, think that's probably true. Yeah, all it takes is to have a problem that they are good at addressing and to have it addressed to, I think, develop an, an entirely new sense of respect. Oh, when I was in medical school, I developed a problem with my uh, low back and hip. And so at Mayo Clinic, where I was in medical school, I went through neurology, had nerve conduction, muscle studies. I had MRI and visits with orthopedic surgeons. I went through radiology that did anesthetic injections into my nerve roots in my lower back. I went to physical therapy with ultrasound, cold, and heat. They even sent me to psychiatry where they gave me the MMPI to find out what was wrong. And lo and behold, all I had was some anxiety. You know, tell me something I don't know. In other words, nothing helped with this super expensive workup. Uh, about 10 years later, a family physician got a little closer when I was in my internship to figuring out maybe I had tight hip muscles. It was not until over 20 years after I had this problem that I met a chiropractor after medical school. And there was one day when I was operating and the pain in my right hip and low back got so bad I couldn't go on. I called this chiropractor I'd been recommended, and he got me in in the middle of the day. So picture this, waiting room full <laughs> of patients, people with holes in their faces bandaged, waiting for me to remove the rest of their cancer, put them together. I drove across town, saw a chiropractor, spent half an hour with him. I went back feeling at least 50 or 60% better after one visit, finished the day, and have not turned back pun intended, on <laughs> chiropractors since then. And I only need, you know, a few times a year because I've learned exercises to strengthen and stretch. But chiropractors saved my career in one respect. Yeah, it's amazing. I had a similar, not quite as dramatic response. I'd only been in practice maybe a year. And I had this habit during surgery of holding my head in a funny sort of way ah. and developed intense neck pain to the point that I, I, you know, I'd only been in practice about a year and I couldn't stand to operate. Oh, no. And I remember just being desperate. And I went to see a chiropractor on the recommendation of a colleague. And I remember laying there on the treatment bed feeling pretty apprehensive. Um, <laughs> and the chiropractor just sort of held my, uh, my head in his hand. Yes, yes. And I remember thinking, 
I have no idea what you're doing, but nothing has ever felt that good in my entire life. So, you know, don't dare stop doing whatever it is that you're doing. Yes. I mean, he really had magical hands to lay them on, you know, the, the spot of pain and to make the pain go away. So I had a, a positive influence early on in, in my career. Yeah, and ever since then, I have not hesitated to refer patients. Now, you might think, why in the world would a dermatologist refer patients to a chiropractor? That's exactly what I was thinking. But there are actually several disorders that people experience in their skin as a weird kind of burning or itching sensation. And it's usually over the... Um, Oh, if you hold your fist in front of you with the thumb up and then you feel the area right beyond your elbow, there's a little hump of muscle there called the brachioradialis. And there's something called brachioradial pruritus where people get really funny tingling sensations over that. And so some doctors will try to treat it with creams, but it won't work because it's due to impingement on nerves coming out of the spinal cord at the neck. So if they can be manipulated appropriately by a chiropractor, that will go away. The same kind of sensation can happen either on the medial, the inside of the thighs, or the outside of the thighs closer to the hip. And also, the same feeling can happen kind of between the shoulder blades. Again, due to pressure on some of the nerve roots leaving mm. the spinal cord through the vertebrae in your, in your neck or, or spine. Well, it's fascinating stuff. Uh, I remember we um, we had a guest, Dr. Tim Malay, Malay, uh, an orthopedic surgeon who was remarkable. And I remember a phrase that he used that stuck with me. He said, "For joints, motion is lotion." <laughs> remember that? <laughs> yes. Um, we'll have to ask Dr. Osang about that when he's with us. But this idea that to to move is to heal. Uh, and to make better by moving instead of remaining stationary. It seems to fit perfectly with their philosophy. Well, and something interesting with, with Tim Millay is he is a spine surgeon in the hometown of the beginning of chiropractic medicine. <laughs> There's some irony there. Yes, uh, which he has shared with me many times, but he has a very uh, good relationship with chiropractors, which I don't know is necessarily common among certain orthopedic surgeons. So there's some pretty unusual uh, distribution, you might say, worldwide uh, of chiropractors, aren't there? It's, it's kind of stunning. You know, on the way over to, to uh, record tonight, I was thinking, I wonder if chiropractic is to the United States what Chinese herbal medicine is to the Chinese. In mm. other words, it's something common among the Chinese, but novel in the rest of the world, because three-fourths of all chiropractors live in the United States. In the world, the entire world in population entire of world, chiropractic. Yes. Two, you know, uh, three quarters of them live right here in the U.S. And, and about half of all chiropractic schools in the world are in the U.S. There's 18 in the U.S., 21 in the rest of the world. And where you gave that statistic that there's about one neurosurgeon for every 84,000 mm. patients in a previous episode, here there's one chiropractor for about every 4,200 Americans, which means that there are about 20 times as many chiropractors as there are neurosurgeons. Hmm. Interesting. And, and in terms of students, chiropractic students, uh, world and nationwide, what does that distribution look like? Well, there's 10,000 right now in the United States. Uh, so about 2,500, it's a four-year school, enter the uh, workforce every year through these 18 nationally accredited schools. I think Dr. Sengel will probably expound on the idea, but this sense that chiropractors have struggled to sort of get the recognition that, that they deserve and desire uh, and there was a study published by the American College of Physicians way back in 2017 looking at what you were talking about uh, <laughs> earlier. And it was sort of first-use non-drug things such as spinal manipulation, which is, in effect, chiropractic care for acute and chronic low back pain. So for the American College of Physicians to recognize that mm. spinal manipulation is legitimate and helpful – uh, is a big step versus when Chris and I were in medical school. Yeah, I would say much, much better. You, you know, this the whole term of chiropractic was uh, coined by a man named Daniel David Palmer. Uh, and he lived in uh, Davenport, Iowa area, which is where Palmer School of Chiropractic Medicine is now. And he just realized, and I don't know why he started doing it, that various forms of spinal manipulation were helpful, had been used for hundreds of years, but nobody had kind of codified it, uh, figured out a strategic way to do it. 
So his major contribution was he he put together the philosophy, the art and science of chiropractic into a curriculum based on extensive study of anatomy and physiology. And so he did the first adjustment that's known in September of 1895, 125 years ago. And he examined a janitor where he, he worked who had become deaf 17 years earlier uh, after he felt something give in his upper back. So Palmer examined the area, gave a crude adjustment, and then amazingly they say that the janitor could start hearing after that. How true that is, I don't know. <laughs> what we know for certain is that in 1897, the Palmer School of Cure, which is now the Palmer College of Chiropractic in Davenport, Iowa, uh, opened. And starting in 1913, the first state in the country licensed chiropractors. By 1931, 39 states had given them legal recognition. Yeah, it should be interesting to hear Dr. Osanga talk about his relationship. Uh, if we think about the overlap, which we experience a lot with medical specialties between, say, chiropractic care and physical therapy, massage therapy, orthopedic surgery. Yes, um, yes. It should be interesting to hear what that dynamic looks like. Yeah, because I think that you know, when I was going through medical school, it seemed like orthopedic medicine, even physical medicine, rehabilitation, they still had some blind spots as to other things that were possibly going on with the, the bones, joints, and muscles. I don't know about you, but I want to run whenever somebody presents a complex topic and they think they've got a simplistic answer. <laughs> uh, something as complicated as pain. Um, I think th the more we learn, we should be humbled by the fact that the less we know. Yes, indeed. And before going to our break, another medical trivia question. So Chris was just uh, detailing a number of different uh, professionals who care for our, our spines, our bones, our muscles. I'm going to focus on three in this question. Those three are chiropractors, physical therapists, and orthopedic surgeons. Which of these three professional groups has the most representatives and which has the least representatives practicing in the United States? As a hint, there's a nine-fold difference in this group of three specialists um, between the one that has the most representatives and the one the least. And the one in the middle is actually three times as many as the other and one-third that. So, Tom, most. we're going to take a break and be right back, as they say. Back. With Dr. Doctor from the studios Wait, was of that a Redeemer pun? Radio. Did I miss the pun? <laughs> Welcome back to Dr. Doctor from the studios of Redeemer Radio. And we're joined by our guest tonight, Dr. Adam Osanga. He's a private practice chiropractor from Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's a graduate of a tiny college over in Ohio. I think they call it The Ohio State University, where he studied economics. Uh, he Which has went, lots to do with chiropractic medicine, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> then he went on to the Palmer College, as we've been talking about, in Davenport, Ohio, to study chiropractic. Iowa. What did I say? Ohio. Ohio. No, he left Ohio, the Ohio State uh, Another three-syllable, four-letter state, yeah. <laughs> uh, then he met his lovely wife, who is a pharmacist. He is the father uh, of four daughters uh, and has helped uh, countless people. Oh, he's Catholic. Blessed is he among women. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, Dr. Adam Osango, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, we're happy to have you with us. We've talked a lot uh, tonight already before you joined us uh, about chiropractic medicine and some of the things that you do and how you got there. But maybe give us some idea of what led you to become a chiropractor. I mean, after all, you studied economics at Ohio State, right? <laughs> that is true. So I would say there were two things that led me to, uh, to chiropractic. Um, first of all was uh, an auto accident. And then second was blood and guts. <laughs> Hopefully so, neither of those involved you. No, no. So um, I had always begged my parents in uh, high school to take me to a chiropractor because my friends were getting results on the athletic field with chiropractic, uh. whether it was from injuries or just athletic performance. Uh. So uh, they never would, of course. But then um, <laughs> we were hit uh, in a car and... I was in bad shape. So um, they, they took me to a chiropractor, and he was my chiropractor from um, through high school and through college. So I developed a relationship with him. Oh. But then um, secondly, I, I knew that I always wanted to help people. I thought that I loved orthopedics. Mm. I wanted to be a surgeon. Okay. So I started observing surgeons, uh, even dentists for whatever reason. So, <laughs> uh, but I quickly found out 
blood is not my thing, <laughs> whether it was other other people's or my own even. So um, that's an important thing to figure out early yes, it on. Is. Self knowledge, <laughs> very true. So which again uh, kind of proved interesting once I got into anatomy classes in cadaver labs. So, so cadavers were you were okay with? Uh, yeah, ironically, obviously there's there's no blood oozing. So. Correct. <laughs> so um, yeah, I got quite comfortable in the cadaver lab. Um, so perhaps mortuary science should have been more interesting to me. But <laughs> all right. Now I find it interesting, and I always question my own career decisions if it was the subject matter or if it was a really influential mentor. What was the breakdown for that with you and deciding to pursue this? So again, after the blood problem, <laughs> so um, I started talking with Dr. Foster, who was my chiropractor, and I'm like, hey, you seem like you like what you're doing. So uh, he talked to me more about chiropractic. I observed him. Nobody was bleeding. So, um, <laughs> so ultimately, I kind of did a little bit of a course correction, although it wasn't much difference. I was already taking those classes for chiropractic school. Oh, even in undergrad? Yes. Yeah. In terms of just the prerequisites. Sure. So, uh, you know, the basic sciences, biology, chemistry, ochem, physics. So just so, like for medical school. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially the, the pre-medicine. So, but then ultimately I would say um, after observing him, it was more like the, the natural approach I actually kind of fell in love with. Um, knowing that we can provide some healing just with our hands and allowing the body to heal itself, if you will. Yeah. So tell us, I mean, it sounds like you, you've already started, but give us and our listeners a sense of what's, what's sort of the philosophy of chiropractic care? So the philosophy can be kind of complex. So <laughs> we... Um, and then, you mean like the Summa? <laughs> yes. So... Um, we could, we could probably talk quite a, a bit about this. And every school, believe it or not, is different uh, in terms of philosophy. So the the Palmers uh, who, you know, developed chiropractic. Yeah, we talked about that in the beginning. Perfect. So um, th their big thing is uh, there's a few premises. The first one is that there's a universal intelligence that created everything. So, you know, you and I <laughs> know that to be God, yes. right? So um, then the second is that there's an innate intelligent or an inborn wisdom within all of us that allows healing to take place. Mm. So the third premise then from chiropractic is basically that the nervous system controls everything. So we are working on the spine to allow the brain to communicate with the rest of the body via the peripheral nervous system. And then ultimately that's called a subluxation in the spine when the, the joint is just slightly out. And I know mm -hmm. in the medical world, subluxation is something completely different. We would not want to be adjusting a, a, a mild dislocation. So... Um, Subluxations, according to the Palmers, were brought on by the three T's. Those are thoughts, traumas, and toxins. Mm -hmm. So we bring that to today's standards from like the early 1900s. Thoughts, I uh, think about stress and anxiety. Sure. Uh, trauma, obviously injuries, whether it's right. an auto accident, uh, poor posture, just sitting all day. Um, sitting at a desk, sitting in, in surgery, sure. standing. Um, and then toxins, just basically some of the chemicals that we put in our body, whether that's high fructose corn syrup, um, mm -hmm. just some of the food that we eat is not nutritious for us. Right. So, so if uh, would we be able to predict your philosophy coming from the Palmer School, from maybe uh, a chiropractor from a different school in a different part of the country? Would we would we know because of that that they would have a different philosophy, or is it pretty universal? It is mostly universal. I would say most of them do focus a little bit on that. It might not be discussed. I mean, at Palmer, we I think we had seven philosophy classes, believe it or not. That, oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, so, granted, it was just an hour a week, but, oh. um, yeah, it was, it was pretty That's seven intense. more than I had. <laughs> In medical school, In yes. Medical school. <laughs> so, why is it half... Roughly half of the chiropractic schools in the world are in the United States, and 75% of all chiropractors are in the United States. I think that a lot of that goes down to uh, the laws in other states. And so, um, or not states, but countries. countries. Sure. Yeah. So um, we would do clinic abroad trips, you know, just like medical doctors go uh -huh. overseas and whatnot. So um, we used to go to Brazil, and we got to the point where the laws in Brazil 
were uh, a little more stringent and chiropractors had to be very, very careful when they were there or else they could get in a lot of trouble. So, um, and then of course, I think just the Palmers did a very good job of promoting chiropractic here mm. in the United States. So there are a handful throughout other countries, but uh, again, wow. it goes back to the laws. That's sort of a good segue. I mean, Tom and I earlier talked about some of our individual experiences with uh, chiropractors through our, particularly when we were in training. Um, but what sort of unfair stereotypes or prejudice, if any, that have you experienced uh, as part of your training and then later uh, in practice? So I think this has kind of changed for me a lot. So chiropractors in the early 1900s, they mm-hmm. were thrown in the jail because they were practicing medicine, quote unquote, without a license. Sure. So, uh, but nowadays, um, I think a lot of it, uh, chiropractors used to think that they could cure everything, if you will. Yes. Um, I, I, I don't believe that. Um, I mean, if you get a gunshot wound, do not come to me. <laughs> so skin cancer, do not come to me. So, um, yeah, but I, I think it's that where anti-medicine is, is one for sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with that being said, I'm certainly not. I refer out. Um, I'm humble when it comes to this. I, I cannot treat everything, nor do I want to. So again, don't be bleeding in my office. <laughs> so um, You have been warned. <laughs> yeah. So then the second one is that uh, chiropractic's unsafe. Oh. So um, I think you guys would probably like my malpractice rates much better than yours. <laughs> so, or, well, insurance costs I, I'm, yeah. is what I mean by that. But yeah. um, there's a lot of research finally being pumped out about the efficacy and sure. of chiropractic. Sure. So I, th- I think that that helps to change some stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, a given uh, an average patient who shows up t- uh, to see you uh, for a problem, um, what, what's that look like? How do you how do you begin that process of evaluating and and treating a patient? Sure. So we try to carve out for like thirty to forty five minutes for a new patient. So it's it's time consuming. So we're starting off with a consultation. You know basically the how, what, why, the pain, how did it start, when did it start, where's the pain, what quality of pain is it. The next, uh, we check the range of motion, we do a neurological evaluation, um, and then we do orthopedic exam. And then ultimately, we also do a functional evaluation, which basically tells me if things are, some things, muscles may be tight, some muscles may be inflexible, and some muscles just may be weak, and ultimately where we need to go with them in terms of trying to improve that function. And then lastly, if needed, um, we would take x-rays in office. Oh, so you've been trained to read x-rays? Yes, yep. So we actually we have a full year of x-rays. Oh, good for you. So, so do you use or order any other kind of radiologic tests besides x-rays? Sure, uh, definitely. Uh, MRI is probably the second most common, mm. um, although we try not to <clears throat> just jump to that unless right. there is a red flag that is good. is pointing up. So. Um, and I think the, you know, a lot of times when you start with an MRI, you're kind of headed down a specific path. And so we want to try to see if we can just save some money and then allow the person to heal. Yeah, questions that I was thinking about with regard to your training, you spend four years just like a medical student does, mm-hmm. but then you can practice right after that four years. Correct. There's not a, a residency or specialty training available after that? So there are different... Not necessarily. The only residency that really exists in chiropractic would be through the Veterans Affair. Oh. So um, we would go out to Washington, D.C., and this has probably changed a little bit since when I was in school, but you would go and spend another year to two years there. And so you get to round with all different uh, disciplinary disciplines of medicine to ultimately, you know, just benefit the patient. Oh. So, but then there's there's a lot of different specialties that you can get into. Um, I just recently did um, one that's called the Certified Chiropractic Sports Practitioner. So, sports. Yeah. Yes. Well, and a lot of professional teams have chiropractors, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah. So I have not quite made it to that status yet. You'd like to? (laughs) I I think I would like to. Yeah. Oh, good for you. So if there's any uh, sports moguls out there listening. (laughs) (laughs) One other question I had, and I noticed this when I was in medical school, 
uh, we shared a building with the physical therapy students, and they seemed to be much more likely to be active Christians than my classmates. My impression is similar with chiropractic students. Is that true or not in your experience? So I guess I can't speak completely of medical doctors on that because the medical doctors that I know are devout Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, there could be a sampling error there. It, could be. <laughs> it, it certainly could. So uh, the circles in which I run in perhaps. So, um, but honestly, I am a convert. So um, I started going to mass when I was at chiropractic school and I have my friends at chiropractic school to thank for that. Oh. So, so from that standpoint, I would say, Yes. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then I know a lot of my colleagues here locally, they are uh, devout Christians. Yes. I've noticed that. That's great. Yeah. That's a nice way to be known, isn't it? So, uh, you know, Tom and I, in our respective specialties, we have our sort of typical patient, you might say. In the course of your day, what's your typical patient look like if there's such a thing? It really varies, to be quite honest. So we will have three-day-old babies in there, and we will have people that are barely walking through the door, that are screaming every step they take, Um, and then a lot of expecting mothers as well. Um, But I would say the majority of people are just uh, people suffering from everyday aches and pains that are just looking for improvement to... uh, to live their life more fully, if you will. Now, the classic thing that I think of with chiropractors is snap, crackle, and pop. Like a cereal. Yeah. So what is going on when we hear those sounds? Yeah. So there's a lot of sounds coming from my office, believe it or not. (laughs) So, um, yeah, whether it's screaming kiddos or uh, those screaming patients that are barely walking in, but that sound is called a cavitation. Cavitation. So that is the scientific term. Basically what it means is basically fluids getting moved around as we're opening the joint up. So think of like a suction cup, if you will. There you go. You got it. <laughs> yep. So, And why is that a good thing? So we have found that with that cavitation, that endorphins are actually released when, when that happens. So endorphins just be in the body's natural painkillers. But does it actually do something, too, for the motion of the joint or inflammation in the joint? In terms of motion, yeah, it helps with things called mechanoreceptors. So mechanoreceptors are, think of them as scales, if you will, in the joint. So it's all about the pressure within the joint. Okay. Like a scale you would weigh yourself on. Exactly, yes. So um, by taking some pressure off the mechanoreceptor, um, that mechanoreceptor is not firing consistently and then the body can get back to just homeostasis if you will just functioning normally instead of worrying about hey we need to tighten this joint up or lock this joint down so tighten the muscles around this because this joint's not moving properly so yeah what happens when a joint is quote locked up what does that mean um so think of uh the muscles get really tight okay so they kind of freezes it, if you will. So that's probably most of it. So if we can get the muscle to relax, a lot of times the joint's going to adjust a lot easier. So it's not just about a joint specifically not moving correctly, but when it's not moving correctly, we know that the muscles are going to be tight, if that makes sense. And why do you sometimes have to do the same type of adjustments, you know, a couple times a week or for weeks or for months in a row? So think of a muscle memory. Yes. So if you're golf players or something, you're, you know, mm-hmm. you're just working on that skill. So when the muscle tightens, whether it's something acute, just recent onset, or just poor posture over time, that muscle kind of remembers where it's at. So each adjustment, we're moving the bone by the uh, attachments, the origins and insertions of the muscle onto the bone. The the muscle is moving a little bit. So, but then each time it's trying to go back to where, to where it, was. it was. Sure. So little by little, we get it to move. Sometimes we do hit a home run with the first adjustment, um, but it's, it's not typical. Do patients expect you to make them fully better, or do you let them know they have to make changes in their life for this to last? Uh, yeah, that's a fantastic question. You know, um, I think we're in that society where people want everything done for them. Yes. So uh, communication is the key that um, I let them know that, Hey, if we can't change your specific habits, if you're drinking a two liter of Mountain Dew a day, <laughs> we've got some other issues that are going on that could 
potentially lead to the problems that we have. So um, if you're sedentary, I try to recommend them to get up and get moving, you mm-hmm. know, every hour just for something. Um, so I try to put it back on them. I mean, they're only with me for, you know, five to 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes for an adjustment. Uh, and then they have, you know, an extra 23 hours and 45 minutes or 50 minutes a day. Yes. That's up to them. So if you, you know, if you wanted to demonstrate your brilliance, um, as, as Tom and I know you to be, and you wanted to uh, show that on a patient, what kind of patient would you use as an example to show that you are going to make a dramatic impact on their life the fastest? Probably the, the bulkiest guy that you can find, <laughs> believe it or not, um, with little flexibility. Oh. So... Um, flexibility is called getting the joint to tension, mm-hmm. if you will. So if there's somebody super flexible, it's hard to get that joint to tension. Oh. So you're not going to get that that pop, that <laughs> cavitation. So <laughs> things will be moving, but it's just not that resounding sound. Um, so and I think... Uh, you know, you you bring a big burly guy in and can't uh, touch his toes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can't see his toes. Yeah. <laughs> so and then uh, making that adjustment, and they're like, "Wow, that that's a profound difference." So we're going to take a break, and we'll be back shortly after the break here on Doctor Doctor. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor from the studios of Redeemer Radio. And we're joined by Dr. Adam Osenga, a doctor of chiropractic care. Um, And we've talked a lot about joints and muscles and things moving around. I wonder, Adam, if you could give us a sense of uh, when does a a patient need to see you versus maybe when does a patient not need to see you? So if our listeners are thinking, gosh, I've got a I've got a teenage or a college age son that's got shoulder pain. Should I take them to see a chiropractor or should I bypass that and take them somewhere else? How would you begin to approach that patient explaining the answer? So um, in, in chiropractic world, our big thing is feeling does not equal function. <laughs> so we could be feeling absolutely great. It does not mean that we are great, right? So <laughs> think of a heart attack, for example. Um, typically, people are feeling pretty good right up until sure. the event. So um, we don't like to base things strictly on symptoms because symptoms is a result of a problem. So a lot of times... Um, if you're feeling a problem, it's probably meant you should have consulted with somebody prior prior to because um, things take time to develop. So in terms of seeing, I guess, a chiropractor, um, most of it's going to be spine-related, you know, uh, or directly related to the spine, such as shoulder or hip. Um, a lot of chiropractors don't really touch the feet, um, although I think the feet are hugely important for our gait cycle and oh, whatnot. Yes. So um, so by just mostly spine, we see a lot of basically lower back, neck pain, sure. uh, headaches. Um, it's kind of like chiropractor's bread and butter. Um, we, we definitely do things different than other healthcare providers such as physical therapists. Um, Maybe you could go into that a little bit uh, because I, I know in, in other specialties, my own of OBGYN, we overlap with urology or we overlap with sometimes general surgery or other specialties. And it can be tough to figure that out as the patient or as a patient's advocate. What, what does that look like with you in physical therapy or maybe orthopedic surgery? Yeah. So uh, with physical therapy, I know my limitations. So I quickly. Uh, I like to co-manage. So I've got fairly good, or at least I think I have fairly good relationship with uh, some PTs in the area. Um, again, it's just being humble that I don't know everything. And there, so they're so what does physical therapy do that you don't? So, uh, you know, it's, I guess it's all in philosophies. And so if uh, you coming to a chiropractor after having a, a total knee replacement, I'm not that guy right. to help you rehab. Right. So certainly uh, that is not not in my um, field house. So um, and then certain things that just aren't working with chiropractic. And I can't look at a person coming in the door and saying, this is going to work for you or this isn't going to work for you. Mm-hmm. So sometimes w- w- patients, when they walk in the door, 
I am blown away that it works or that it doesn't work. Um, so I, again, I like to co-manage and then, uh, I have a few orthopedic surgeons on speed dial if, uh, if it, if it's not working and, you know, I certainly want them to try the more natural route before just sure. heading straight to surgery because we have chiropractors have saved quite a few people from surgery. Oh, amen. So, um, and you know, uh, surgery's not always a guarantee, unfortunately. Especially spine surgery. Yeah. So, um, and we see a lot of people post uh, laminectomies and whatnot. But um, so, yeah, I refer out to orthopedic and then uh, neurosurgeons as well. So, just so what type of things might somebody be experiencing as a potential patient that would lead you to say, you know, you should give chiropractic a try? Yeah. So, um, you know, the the optimist in me would say any type of ache and pain. <laughs> so the, I know the that pain's the common denominator. Pain is it? typically yeah. the common denominator. But then ultimately, it can also just be about function. So not that chiropractors treat heartburn. But I see a lot of people that come in with heartburn, and you know what? They get better. Mm -hmm. So uh, that just goes back to just the nervous system. Um, we have these things called Merrick charts. So I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of a Merrick chart, but basically it's kind of like a, a fuse panel in your house, if you will. <laughs> so we know that where C5 nerve goes, right. where T4 goes. So And then it also um, lists symptoms out. So I've got one in each room. A lot of times when I come into the room and the patient's waiting on me, they're like, hey, doctor, uh, I think my T4 is out today. I've got this symptom going on. I'm like, well, <laughs> if it could only be that easy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so the function is, I guess, when, when you have a loss of function, that's, that's when we're hoping to see you in, in our office. One thing that I've learned from patients is that, you know, they would come in and say, wow, you touched me the last dermatologist I saw didn't even touch me. I, I can't imagine a patient not being touched. And I realize that when I do full body skin exams, I always check their head and neck lymph nodes. And I've gotten feedback that just that few seconds of testing their lymph nodes, patients are like melting. So what is it like for you who are constantly touching patients? And what role do you think that plays in the healing relationship? I think it plays a huge part because you're right. A lot of a lot of physicians don't touch their patients anymore. It's mm -hmm. all based on the consultation. So you've heard that too? Yes, yeah. And so I will refer people out and they're like, well, so-and-so didn't even touch me. I'm like, oh, they were in a rush. <laughs> so um, so I, I get a lot of comments like, oh, you don't have to stop that or you can keep going. <laughs> yes, so, yes. Um, But I, I think touch is, is greatly important. But then also your intention behind the touch, if you will. So, ah. um, you know, being pure with the touch and with good intentions. So, cause there's a lot of quote unquote bad touch out mm. there. So, but it is amazing in traditional medicine, how we've moved away from touch. You know, we used to joke and say the physical exam is only necessary to confirm the MRI findings, <laughs> um, as opposed to originally it was the other way around. And we've talked about it before with other guests about nursing as a profession. They spend so much time documenting and typing that, you know, maybe a, a young man or a young woman that wanted to touch people, literally and figuratively, finds at, when they're out of school that they're not allowed to touch people because they don't have time anymore. Uh, but there is something that's um, sort of classical almost and poetic about you actually heal people by touching them, touching them with your hands. Um, that's pretty neat. Yeah, I, I would say I don't heal people. I would say that that power is given to me by God. But, of course, yeah, and then ultimately their body's doing all the healing. So we're just removing the roadblocks to allow them to so to that function. brings me to the next question how does being a catholic inform how you live and work as a chiropractor so i would like to think that i walk with jesus daily so um i pray with patients i pray for patients um now were I, you were taught that in chiropractic school how to no, pray with patients no 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 we were not so um Ultimately, I think having their their intention uh, at best of heart for me mm. is is greatly important. So, um, and just having that pres present time consciousness with them to be with the patient right then, right there. You know that nothing else matters except for them and I at that moment. 
So not worrying about uh, what's going on at home because we are still humans. But um, And that sounds exactly like what people used to say about St. John Paul II, is that when you were with him, you felt like you were the only person mm-hmm. in the universe to John Paul. And that had a huge in- impact on their lives. Um, so, yeah. so you're copying a winner there. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> there are a lot. There are a lot worse role models. <laughs> you know, I know it sounds like a pat question, I guess, but what's most fulfilling about being a chiropractor? I would say restoring life to their life, hmm. if you will. So, kind of cliche sounding, but whether that's being able to take a walk with their grandkid or hold their mm. baby, um, or just maybe make it through the work day without intense pain. How so, many times a day do you hear a story like that where you made that difference for someone? Uh, quite a bit. And <laughs> so it, it is daily. It, it is. Yeah. And so you don't you don't realize it until you look back and like you look for those miracles but they're they're in front of you every day. Well, I mean it's hard not to ask sort of I guess the opposite of that question, isn't it? And What's most frustrating? I know we all have, uh, in medicine, we all have our the, the thorns in our sides, but what's what's most difficult or frustrating for a chiropractor, would you say? There's probably three things. The first one is <laughs> charting. Ah, <laughs> so, universal pain. Yes. Um, I spend so much time on that lovely computer. So. Um, oh, mine isn't lovely. <laughs> <laughs> there's different adjectives you could probably insert there. But um, then the, uh, the second would be third-party payers. Mm. So, you know, but again, that goes back to that's why we're charting the way that we are. So, yes. Um, Another universal dislike. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then also not giving the the healing process enough time. So impatient uh, patients. Correct. Mm. Yeah. I think I think everybody experiences that and in the medicine arts doesn't really matter the specialty whether it's right. taking that blood pressure medicine or doing those exercises or losing that weight uh, or letting so wounds heal. Oh, right. It's the hardest part in my patients is for them to be patient for healing. Mm-hmm. Cuz it does take time. What do you wish that more patients knew about taking care of their bodies? So essentially that healing comes from within. Uh, You know, a lot of diseases now are lifestyle Mm -hmm. diseases. So diabetes, uh, certain cancers, um, heart disease. So, you know, if think of a a garden, for example, and and that being our body, if we feed it, uh, feed it well, good food, uh, water, and then ultimately you can't take a a garden on a walk, but getting some exercise (laughs) is, is helpful. So, and then... Ultimately, spirituality, too. You know, I think that's left out a lot in our secular world. So, Amen. It's funny. how many, I wish we could tally up in the, the years that we've been doing this show how many experts we've had on. And when we ask them, what's the secret to being healthier? It's some version of the same thing so often. Um, eat less. Don't smoke. Drink less if you drink. Wear your seatbelt. <laughs> get some sleep. Uh, and keep moving. Uh, don't stop moving. Oh, well, you wanted to ask about uh, lubrication. Oh, yes. We had the orthopedic surgeon that we talked about who had uh, practices uh, near the Palmer School. And he coined that phrase that I love so much that from, if you're a joint, motion is lotion. There we go. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So. Uh, but to be moving is to be healthy and to stay healthy, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah certainly. You know, an object at rest will stay at rest and an object of motion <laughs> will. Well, and something I learned is that uh, we recently remodeled our office. So I have a new surgical suite. And when I made it, I'm looking at the microscope constantly. Um, I made it so I have a standing desk now. And I sit like 10 minutes a day during an eight-hour workday. And I love it. Is there some truth that a standing desk is going to be healthier for people's spines than sitting down in a chair? Yeah. So there's still going to be a force, uh, but you're going to have more force when you're sitting. But you, you still have a force when you're standing. So, you know, movement is going to be better than just standing in one spot, but certainly standing is going to be... Oh, and I'm rarely standing in the same place for more than five minutes unless I'm doing a long closure, and that might be 25 minutes, but I'm shifting weight uh, all the time. So, yeah, you've you've got it under control then with movement. So, yeah, I feel sorry for people who are at a desk for like eight hours a day. What do you recommend for them? Uh, They've got to take breaks. They've got to get up and move. And And being an employer... Uh, you don't really like to hear that. It's like, hey, you need to let your, your employees get up every every hour. 
you know, and, and move around for at least a few minutes. Do you think there's any anything to these uh, complex and sometimes very expensive chairs that are supposed to help with posture and Great back problems? Great question. Um, there, there's probably some to them, but, you know, an exercise ball is just as good as a complex chair because oh. it's, it's going to engage our core. Exactly. And so, um, no, core is king when it comes to back pain. So, well, you know something that I learned, and it got me through several years. In fact, I still wear them when I operate. Are these shoes called MBT shoes? Are you familiar with I am those? Not familiar with Maasai that. Barefoot Technology. They're the super thick rocker sole shoes. So even when I'm standing still, I'm constantly shifting because they're not flat. And it has that idea built into them, like the exercise ball for your feet. And um, so that, that that principle works. And I've seen doctors who, when they're sitting at their computers, are actually on those exercise balls. Do you use that, Chris? No, I don't, but I have seen people do that. And I catch myself slumping as the day goes. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, you're sort of giving in to the gravitational forces. They're, <laughs> they're winning by 3.30, 4.30 in the <laughs> afternoon. And when you get to be my age, that's, that's a terrible loss. Do, are you aware of any patients that you were able to help get off of opioid narcotic medications for their pain? Yeah, yeah. So, and those, those people hold a special place in my heart, you know, because um, that's a it's, a, it's an addiction. So, obviously, and it yeah. grabs a hold of you. Um, yeah, we see a lot of veterans. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, there's a few that just come to mind that, like, really stick with me. Uh, one gentleman. He's like, Doctor, uh, I, I can't sleep. I'm trying to get off this. I'm here, and, and you are my guy to help me. Wow. So, um, so sometimes it's you know it's going above and beyond just providing that adjustment. It's also a phone call just to say, Hey, Tim, how are you doing today? You know, um, I'm just thinking about you. Um, I want to make sure everything's okay. So, it's uh, giving advice as well, you know. But yeah, getting people off opioids is, is very. Very, very powerful. So, and the manipulation helps to do that. Yeah. Again, just going back to endorphins are released when uh, some ad- when the adjustment is made. So, Adam, what would be a good source for people who want to learn more about chiropractic medicine, whether or not they have something that should seek that out? So, th- there's quite a few sites. So, you could always look at your state association. So, here in Indiana, it's the Indiana State Chiropractic Association. Um, but then we have a, a couple national ones. One is the American Chiropractic Association, so the ACA. And then we also have the International Chiropractic Association, which is the ICA. So, in those four with children, um, the ICPA is based on uh, children and then perinatal care as well. Wow, yeah, you see the little ones, yeah. which amazes me. It, it does. So new patients that are in my waiting room, and they're like, was that just a baby that came out? <laughs> yes, it was. They're like, well, what's a baby doing here? And so it's, it's some education, and they're like, wow, I would have never guessed that because, you know, they're there for so, back pain. So your daughters must be incredibly flexible <laughs> because of having a dad <laughs> I, like you. I, I want to say incredibly flexible. They're, they're picking up some bad habits with gymnastics, and <laughs> so... But, yeah, they're, they're, I guess they're blessed. Well, Adam, <laughs> so. in, the, in the couple of seconds that we have left, what would you like to share with our listeners about chiropractic medicine? So I guess I would just say uh, give it time. Uh, give the body a chance to heal. Um, and it really doesn't hurt that bad. <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of times people are scared to death when they come in. Ah. Well, Adam, thank you so much for being with us so we can hopefully dispel some misconceptions and show people that chiropractic might be able to help them. Thank you. And you're back with Dr. Doctor from the studios of Redeemer Radio, and it's time for this episode's medical trivia question. Now, this is a complicated one. Chiropractors, physical therapists, and orthopedic surgeons all care for disorders of the bone, joints, and muscles. Which of these three professional groups has the most representatives and the least representatives practicing in the United States? And the group with the most has nine times more than the group in these three with the least. And number one, drum roll if we had one, it's physical therapists. About 210,000 practicing physical therapists in the United States. And who's the least? Well, the one that requires the longest training, not not uh, surprisingly, and that's orthopedic surgeons. So just over 25,000 of them. And there's about three times as many chiropractors as orthopedic surgeons and three times as many physical therapists as chiropractors. So there's about 77,000 practicing chiropractors in the United States right now. 
And that'll do it for this episode, won't it, Tom? Uh, it will, but I, I hope that some people uh, learn some things that are um, are new to them, uh, because you know chiropractic was a big black box to me, uh, even with my medical training. Really, until I needed them, I, I really didn't have a clue what they did. Yeah, I think uh, this idea that you that we need to be healthy, we need to take care of ourselves. It takes time for the body to heal. And that with some help from professionals like Dr. Osenga, it, it can occur, and it doesn't necessarily require pharmacologic agents or, or sharp instruments that cut into things. And I understand that a number of your patients end up in his oh, hands. Yeah, I've sent patients to him for all sorts of pregnancy-related problems, not the least of which infants that, that won't latch, won't breastfeed properly, or wow. pregnant moms that are having debilitating sciatic pain oh, or low back imagine. pain. Particularly in pregnancy, because of the nature of my specialty, you know, we send a lot of people that way. And I would say universally, they come back happy. Happy is a wonderful thing. Seeing a patient happy is one of the crowning achievements, I think, of any uh, doctor's day. Well, listeners, thanks for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor. We are the official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. We come to you from the studios of Redeemer Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Please share the good news of our show with a friend. Invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app or at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. Be sure to rate and review our show. It helps new listeners find us. And, Tom, we want our listeners to send us questions. Tell us what's happening, what you're thinking, something you've heard on the show that you like, something you haven't heard on the show that you'd like us to cover. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor. We'll be discussing euthanasia uh, as a deficiency of love with Canadian palliative care physician Dr. Margaret Cottle. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud signing off until your next dose of Dr. Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word DOCTOR to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit RedeemerRadio.com slash doctor. Abortion. Pornography. Embryonic stem cell research. Corporate contributions to Planned Parenthood. Do you invest in companies that are engaged in these practices? The Ave Maria Mutual Funds do not, and their investment portfolios reflect that. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com.